Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We just want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on the show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. thought we would look back on and reflect upon the previous year of Fireside, as we are wont to do, and also so we don't have to write any script for this one. So uh, there's <laughs> there's no research for this one. This is the, uh, the Captain Crunch Oops All Diversions episode, um, yes. where we're going to talk about some of the stuff we talked about, some of the things we've learned, our standard reflection every biannual-ish, every six months to year reflection episode check in get some pulse and uh probably um talk about some of our favorites and then make some predictions for what is coming up in 2022 where we think some things are going to go uh with the world and society so if you're interested in all at all in hearing what we're tracking stick around yeah absolutely and um We'll do when we mention something specific. We'll do our best to make sure that we get a link out there. Uh, we'll probably just post a document that's links from this episode versus actual show notes, uh, so that if there is something specific that we reference, you can find what we're looking at. That's yep. yeah. So I think we should we should do this uh, for reference. We're recording this on New Year's Day because we're always on our hustle around these parts and we don't take no days off um which is the generous way of interpreting the fact that we just didn't do any work at all this week (laughs) because it was too busy (laughs) we did work it was just different kinds of work yeah that's true it was just different kinds of work than writing a podcast script which is great because um part of the benefit of having a show like this is that we get to take some time and reflect and just go off the cuff sometimes and synthesize all the things that we've learned doing yeah. this show so hopefully hopefully we're synthesizing learning. <laughs> we might just be recording a bunch of stuff and spewing it into the ether without ever learning anything which would be terrible be um, terrible I, it, it is actually something i am afraid about every now and then is that like we'll research and we'll do all of this effort and we'll put it together and we'll do the episode and i'm so focused on doing that work that i don't actually absorb the things that we are talking about the things that we're researching, the things that we spend all of our effort educating ourselves about so we can, you know, talk about it on some level to, to other people. Um, and it does feel like it on, uh, sometimes I'll, you know, 
hear a conversation about a topic or whatnot. And I'll be like, oh man, we did an episode on that. I don't remember anything about it. Yeah. I definitely but, have to go back and read what we did. <laughs> I do. I do. And, but then, you know, I have that thought and then I'm like, I get to talking, we get to talking about the, you know, whatever the topic is and it comes back and like suddenly I remember the things that we researched, but I can't summon it on command. Uh, it's a really weird feeling. Um, it was just, it was just something strange that happens. It's a weird paranoia. Uh, I think maybe some sort of minor anxiety. Who knows? Who knows? Robin? I mean, it is a project of our educational system that basically has taught us that learning is being able to regurgitate facts and figures versus actually synthesizing and being able to draw conclusions. But that's a soapbox. That's a good point. Uh, we're not going to address that one too deeply right now because no. <laughs> that would be the whole episode. Um, so let's start. Is there anything that you feel like we talked about this year that um, that kind of like played out, that came to fruition, that you were like, yeah, we could have told you that was going to happen? Oh, man. Um, I feel like in a lot of our episodes running up to the election, which was – very early uh, in 2020 or late in 2020 going into 2021, we spent a lot of time talking about the potential for absolute chaos. And then early in 2021, January 6th, almost mm -hmm. a year ago, we saw that chaos absolutely played out. So it, it did kind of cross that border between 2020 and 2021. But I feel like we called that something major was going to happen just through the research that we were doing and, and kind of where we saw things going. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I explicitly expressed it on the, on the show, but I do remember having that feeling of like, this is not going to end well. It's not going to, you know, simmer and then sort of yeah. die out and peter out. It was, it was going to be a more explosive ending. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know that any of us could have predicted what actually happened. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, I think it was just this general sense that this is not going to end on election night or this is not even going to end on Inauguration Day. Yeah. And I. So. Yeah. And frankly, bluntly, it's not over yet, I think. Right. Uh, there is still. It, 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 January 6th was not a climax and then denouement. It was uh, rising action. Mm -hmm. And that is what I, looking into 2022, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, getting out of order. Surprise. Um, like that is, that is something that I'm monitoring, something that I'm, I am tracking is, is what, where that sort of mentality is is heading um because i from everything i've seen and everything i've read and everything i know due to my privileged position and my, my job um it's the sentiment expressed on january 6th was only a fraction of the overall um frustration uh being experienced by that group of people and i think it's only growing i don't think it's gotten any less in the last year i think it's only solidified and and calcified into a hard nodule of resistance um 
And I, th- I think that because of things like the let's go Brandon phrase, which mm-hmm. we I don't think we've actually really talked about on the show. Um, no. But the, the, the Reader's Digest version, if you're fortunate enough to have not familiarized yourself with let's go Brandon or what that means is it's um, it's it's used by people on the right to um, quote unquote subtly <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. replace um, F Joe Biden. Um, and it's like, uh, I don't know what the purpose of it is. Like, it, it's just like, it's, it's like a rat. It's an inside joke. It's a big, well, it used to be an inside joke. Um, but now everybody knows what it means. And it's just, it's a way of identifying yourself with one side or the other. Yeah, but it's dumb. Um, oh, it's dumb. I, I mean, and like, it, that's what I don't get, rather, is, is because it is so stupid. Because the people who I hear saying it, like the guy who was on the phone with Joe Biden on Christmas and said, let's go, Brandon, um, like to Joe Biden. And Joe Biden was like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like he, th- he knows what it means. But right. um, it, it, you're not you're not getting away with anything. It's It just seems super juvenile to me. And right. If but you- if you think like this is the same crew of people who made up nicknames for every female in political office that they didn't like, right? This is the same group of people who called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas the entire 2020 election because they're juvenile. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it feels very high school to me and it is laughable to me that people think that anyone at all is getting triggered by the phrase, let's go Brandon. If anything, I've only ever seen people laugh at it. And I, and right. not like a I agree with you, but more like a you're a dumbass. <laughs> like right. if that's how you feel, just say it. We're all adults here. Nobody's gonna care, right? Um, you know. And I like I like, last year or two years ago, I don't remember when it was, but like F Donald Trump was literally on campaign not campaign posters, but at rallies, like it was, it was painted on signs. And there was that one lady who flipped off Donald Trump while he was in his procession in DC. So it's not like it, it's like a really sort of weird response. Like they feel like they need to, to hide the fact that they don't like Biden because they're going to be persecuted, but like nobody cares, dude, just say it. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, like, I don't even think anybody's trying to hide it. I think it is just that uh, identification. It's kind of like when oh, yeah. when we were looking at Hillary Clinton in the primaries and uh, everyone was wearing the nasty women sweatshirts. Yeah. I guess I like, could see that. It's like it's a verbal MAGA same, hat. Exactly. Which I will say now I have started in this particular uh, geographic region to see Bumper stickers on cars that will say on one side, let's go, Brandon, and then on the other side, F Joe Biden. So uh, we are starting to become a little bit more explicit with behaving like adults who are trying to communicate something directly. Okay, great. Excellent. Step one. Right. Um, Yeah. Anyway, we did say this was the all diversions episode. I think we made that all diversions. Great. So here's 
just a prediction going into 2022, I really think we're going to see a sort of snowballing of that sentiment um, and not necessarily a growing amount of people who believe it, but the fervor with which the people who do sort of feel that way and do feel like the election has been stolen, the fervor with which they support and and broadcast those ideals, I feel like they're it's going to grow. I feel like we're going yeah. to see more and more action from that particular crowd moving forward. Yeah, I think it's going to get a lot louder. And that's going to make it seem like there's more, there are more people. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really just think it's going to be a louder volume. Yeah. And, and it's, hmm. You know, we did that, that episode on, uh, why we believe we've done a several episodes tangentially related to why we think the election was secure. And then the one episode um, that last week that was about why we think like specifically the election was secure. And we were able to to talk about some of the, the factors um, that, that went into that. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about and one of the things that I do want to talk about here is that the sort of... Um, coordination, the sort of broad conspiratorial action that would be required to steal the election isn't, it's just not going to happen. There's too many actors involved with conflicting ideas and conflicting desires for outcomes. Um, And so I, I am, what was I going to say with that? Hey, surprise, ADHD does this to you. You start on a point and then you can't remember where you're going with the point because you're like, damn, this is a good point to make. So good. So good. Um, oh, heavens. Well, the point being, I will come back to that in a little bit. Oh, no. So we, I remember what I was going to say. So we covered all of this and we've covered several reasons that we believe that that the election is secure, that it is, we can trust in the results. And one of the things we're going to see in this year, I think, is we're going to see more investigations. And we're going Mm -hmm. to see more Code Ninja-esque looks into the election. I think Texas just wrapped up an audit of their election, which unsurprisingly found that there was no... Uh, indication that the election had been stolen. So that's Arizona and Texas now um, that have found no problems with the way that the election has been executed. And so we're going to see more of that. And it's going to, I think, cause people to dig it in even further because the people who still believe that the election was stolen, like the guy who told Joe Biden, let's go, Brandon. (laughs) um, (laughs) um, They don't want to be convinced. Right. Yeah, I think that's we had um, a gal comment on our Instagram post for that particular episode. And uh, she mentioned that she believed that the election had been stolen because when she went to vote, uh, she was told that she had already voted in a different county where she did not live. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of was offered as evidence as to why she believed that the election was stolen. Um, But the fact that she recognized that was told that and then i'm assuming corrected the situation was able to vote um otherwise is just a reinforcement of the fact that our election system works 
Yeah. Because she was given that notification and then cast her vote in another way or challenged it or however that process worked. And even when we encounter problems, one of the purposes of the system is to correct those problems. It's not broken because you encounter problems. It's broken if you can't correct them. Yeah. So all these stories that we hear about people being told that they voted already or not having their votes accepted or um, the machine putting printing out the wrong vote, if you had the opportunity to correct that and it got corrected, the system still worked and it was still secure because yeah. the problem was fixed. Yeah. The way I think about it is the election and the way that it functions is a lot like a car engine. Um, we Almost everybody listening to this has driven, I would wager. Um Perhaps we've all owned a car even, um, and everybody has had to deal or knows somebody who has had to deal with the maintenance that goes into having a car. And the thing is, we've had engines for decades and decades and decades. We've had the internal combustion engine since, well, before really even the Model T, but we've had it in automobile form broadly distributed you know, since the early 1900s. Um, and the technology is only... Uh, you know, expanded and been refined with time and gotten better and better and better. We know that it is reliable. We know that we can, by and large, depend on our vehicle every day to take us to where we work, to take us to the grocery store, to do what we need to do. But engines still encounter problems every day. Nobody would say, however, that the idea, the concept, the way that an engine works uh, is broken. It just needs maintenance. There are things that can go wrong because it is an infinitely complex system. And in any system with a lot of complexity in it, you're going to encounter hiccups and issues. And you can correct those and rectify those. And that's how I view the election. It it is an infinitely complex system beyond anything that we could easily explain in an hour or two or a year's worth of podcasts. It's going to have issues. There are 330 plus now million Americans and hundreds and hundreds of millions of voting Americans. And they're going to encounter problems. Even if it's only 1%, that's a lot of problems. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in the same way that you wouldn't, you know, wreck your, you wouldn't, you know, turn in your car, you wouldn't cash in your car. The second you had a single engine problem, we need to do the same with our, our election system, right? right? Your car's not totaled because your check engine light came on. <laughs> you just, just maybe need to it. add some coolant. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. I mean, and yeah, and that's, that's all, like the woman who commented, that's all that was. It was a check engine light. It wasn't even a blinking one. It was just a, Hey, you know, Maybe one of your spark plugs needs replaced. Not a big deal. Go fix it. Everything works fine. Um, Now that we've beaten that metaphor to death, uh, I think we can move on. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention about elections that we didn't get a chance to cover last year, but I or last week, but I just really want to talk about it is why (laughs) if the election was stolen, right? If the ballots can't be trusted, how come it's only the presidential election that anybody is concerned about with those ballots. Yeah. Shouldn't we it didn't, be all of the down ballot elections? All of them should come into question at that them. point, including Every all of the Republicans one. who got elected on those very same, literally the exact same ballots. Like mm-hmm. 
what is it? Are they accurate or inaccurate? Right. So. Are they valid or invalid? That's, and we didn't bring that up. And I, you know, we thought about putting that in the outline, but it just, it kind of felt like a, like we wouldn't be able to add a whole lot to that conversation right? because it, it feels really logical. There wasn't a whole lot of research to add to that, but. Um, yeah. Cause it's yeah. pretty point blank on that one. Um, but I did want to bring it up. I, this has turned into a, why I believe the election is still legitimate <laughs> <laughs> part 17, whatever, but you know, whatever we're getting, it's my podcast. I'm going to get my shots off while I can. Uh, yeah. It's the all diversions <laughs> episode. We can do whatever we want. That's right. Um, so going back to what prompted this, like that's kind of what my called it moment is as well. It was the that the election was going to be uh, validated. And we went I mean, we started talking about election security and how hard it was to to commit fraud and how little fraud there actually is in American elections, like way back in 2020, like, yeah, well before the November like election Four, yeah. It, it was really early on because um, people that is that was about the time when people were talking about how mail in voting was going to lead to massive fraud because it's super insecure, which it just the data doesn't bear out. No. Um, and we are seeing that proven over and over and over again with all of these audits, real and less real uh, <laughs> that have been happening. With the 2020 election, don't laugh at me. I'm trying to be diplomatic. 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 Dipl diplomatic community. Um. So yeah, uh, that was that was my called it for me that when we were talking about, yep, this election's going to be fine, and sure enough, sure enough. So yeah, um, it was fine and not fine all at the same time. Well, it was fine was in crazy. reality. It was fine in right. reality. It's only in people's, and uh, not in a demeaning way, but in in their imaginations that it wasn't fine, right? You know, and yeah, that's because of something, Robin, that you have actually educated me on many, many times, which is the the, the social media bubbles that people live in, and right. our filter bubbles. You know, yeah, we we ended up in this very strange paradox this year, in which we have both valid information. And an entire group of people acting completely opposite to that valid information. Um, objectively valid. Hmm. Now, we had a, from literally every source, a perfectly secure election. Every, every valid objective source that has considered it. We had a perfectly secure election. And yet, the outcome of the election is not fine because we have an entire group of people who just refuse to believe that that is the case. Mm -hmm. So. And it's not, that's not the only arena that we're seeing that we've got data. We've got mountains of data now more every day on how COVID works and how the vaccines work and how we can prevent its spread and what we can do. And we have people still, still large groups of people who are just refusing to, to believe it, mm -hmm. who are treating it like some sort of, again, some sort of hoax or, lie or method to control them yeah and uh, hmm, i don't know i don't know what to do with that but well i do know what to do with that we do the podcast and we try to help one by one one person at a time get them questioning why they are questioning things so why are they why do you doubt everything 
question everything, right. sure, but be willing to be convinced. That's the other part of that. Be willing to believe the evidence that you're being presented with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Robin, I've dominated the last 25 minutes. No, you have thoughts, man. I have I so many it. thoughts. That's why we have a podcast. It's true. It's true. So those, I think those were our biggest called it moments. Um, but we also did have, I think, quite a few episodes that we uh, get to give updates on, which is super fun. Things that we talked about kind of before they happened, before they resolved. Uh, and then now before we get they to- were famous. Before oh, I wish it was before they were famous. Right. We're not quite that cool, but we do get to give some updates on some episodes, some of our favorite episodes, perhaps. Like uh, we do get to, we did give a mini update when it finally happened, but Chuck Sam's uh, was confirmed as director of the National Park Service. And I saw quite a few articles in the last week or so talking about how excited he is to get to work and the plans that he has for the Park Service, uh, especially utilizing the funding that's coming through the Great American Outdoors Act. So we are really excited to share that update, mainly because we're close personal friends. Close. You know. Personal friends with Chuck, <laughs> by which we mean yeah. there has been one Instagram exchange. Yeah. We're just, I mean, we're just we going to run with it. Brushed. We have flown close to the sun and not fallen from the sky at this point. Nope. Famous. None of that Icarus business. So famous now. Yeah. We also just recently did an episode on the Jelaine Maxwell case hmm. as we were talking about, you know, how, what, what was going on with that case and why we really felt like the media coverage of it was not doing the situation the appropriate justice. We weren't focusing on the victims and the significance of the case, it was turning it into a political sparring point. Yeah. Um, but we did find out last week that she was convicted on five of the six counts that she was on trial for. So um, we do know that her lawyers plan to appeal, but hopefully this will turn itself into a landmark case that sets precedence for advocating for victims of trafficking going forward in a much more significant way than we've seen in the justice system in the past. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you have any predictions about where the case or future cases might go based on this one? Have you seen anything? Like I haven't. It's it's still pretty new and her lawyers haven't really talked about the grounds on which they plan to appeal mm. significantly yet, or at least I have not uh, seen that. It's been a busy couple of days, but I think once mm. we know more about what they're planning to appeal and why, we'll see where this goes. I think that they're going to have a pretty hard time with an appeal. Yeah, I do too. Um, I think we're going to see an appeal based on um, probably technicalities. Um, yeah. And they're probably not going to be successful. The jury deliberated for a very long time on this mm -hmm. and they asked a lot of questions and uh, really gave all of the signals of a group of people who were striving to make sure that what they decided stuck that they yeah. considered everything very thoroughly. And so I think we're going to see an appeal. I think we're going to see it fall through almost immediately. Um, yeah. And it'll probably get chased up the courts and it will probably get beaten down. I, I don't foresee this being reversed. I also foresee a pretty, pretty strict sentencing uh, for this. Mm -hmm. um, it's high profile. 
it's an opportunity for the judge to send a um, a deterrent message to would-be perpetrators of similar yes. acts. And so I, I think we're going to see the sentencing come down on the stiffer side of the the, the equation, uh, even even though if if it's not and she only gets something like 20 years or 25 years, she's going to federal prison. Um, so that's you're not eligible for parole at like 20 or 50 percent of a federal thing. You have to serve 80 percent of your sentence before you're even eligible to be considered. And I don't know if she will even be eligible for parole. The, that right. might not be allowed. So um, she's, what, 60? She just turned 60, something like that. Something um, like that, yeah. She's probably going to die in jail. And uh, that's probably where she should die, I think. Yeah, I'm, I, I tend to not be angry about it. And I think, you know, even if for some reason the lawyers do find a technicality on which they can get the actual conviction overturned. I think that the statement that was made by the jury because of the amount of deliberation that they did and the questions that they asked and the evidence that was presented, even if the conviction gets overturned, there's not a situation in which anyone is going to be able to say, well, she was innocent all along. They were wrong. It's going to be they didn't do the process right, and so this doesn't count. Yeah, I think um, there's no question in in the public opinion at this point about her innocence and whether or not she was involved in this situation. So um, even that I consider to be a win. Yeah, yeah. No matter what happens, her life is is as she knew it <laughs> even before she was arrested is yes. is over, um, and as it should be. I think. Absolutely. Um, And we're going to see a lot of fallout from this. There's a civil case going on in England with, uh, is it Prince Charles? Andrew. It is Prince Andrew. Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, (laughs) Prince Andrew, who is currently uh, facing some fallout from this, he was asked to prove in court that he could not sweat. He could not prove (laughs) this <laughs> they could provide no documentation <laughs> i just thought that was very funny that is what a an argument highly to make. specific request yeah well i'm sure it's critical to a point of his argument that like well i must be able to sweat in order to do such a thing and i can't sweat medically mm, right i don't know if that's humanly possible frankly we'll find out i'm sure i'm sure that it there are people is. Who, is it really to never ever ever sweat it's an incredibly dangerous medical condition. Yeah, I was, that's what I would expect, that you would, like, die yeah. from it's it. It's incredibly rare. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's along the lines of the people who have, um, like, that extreme sensitivity to sunlight where yeah, they can't go outside. Yeah, that causes, like, a reaction. Yeah. Vampires right. it's, it is, is who you're like, talking about, Robin. <laughs> it is inherently life-limiting mm. in that you – there are a lot of things that you cannot do as a human being if you medically you, cannot – sweat yeah you'll overheat and die right because if like if you think about the anyway this is a bunny trail <laughs> oh I'm yeah gonna hey. stop. We're... oops <laughs> all diversions that's that's this episode oops. right 2021 re- retrospective slash let's talk about things this is what happened this is why we put so many sources in our shows guys because if we don't mm-hmm. we start talking about things that we've read about and sort of pieced together and the information might not be super accurate at that point because right. 
we're just latching on to the shiny thing that our dopamine starved brains really want to talk about dude so. it can that this is why we come to you with a script every week and yeah. why um why our show notes read more like a transcript than yeah. like notes because if we don't then you are asked to consider how many times you sweat without actual physical exertion in your life and it's a lot that's just not relevant yeah i mean it totally. is but it's not yeah. Anyway, that really drives us to our most impactful episode of the year by numbers. And uh, that would be right. our, our discussion of ADHD. Um, yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Made like a, a pretty big splash for people. Um, we, there was a lot of connection on that, which probably stems from the fact that um, it's something that Robin and I both experience, something we have to the, live every day. So, uh, people are naturally more attracted to or more entertained by people discussing lived experiences, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we uh, definitely managed to spark some interest with that, which was really cool um, yeah. it, in a lot of ways. It was kind of sad in a, in a lot of other ways. A lot of people going, wow, I never knew this or, you know, I, I've I've had been diagnosed with ADHD, but I can't you know, I can't do these things and, and the discussions that it sparked. Um, interesting stuff, I think. Yeah. I was really surprised at the number of people that I know personally who uh, were very impacted, very moved by the episode and um, and who have kind of, not because of that, but that was another link in the chain that has led them to the confidence that they need to perhaps accept this as part of who they are and learn to function around it rather than um, one gentleman that I was talking to was saying that he has always felt like if he could just be a better person, he could outpace these things. And that's kind of the environment that he came from. And hearing people talk about it as though it's not something that is wrong with them, as though it's not a problem, that they don't just need to be better that they can just yeah. function differently uh, was really encouraging to him. So um, I have to say it's probably one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's actually a common mentality amongst people with ADHD is that, you know, I could change the world if only I worked harder, if only I were more determined, if only I were better. And it's like impossible to accept the fact that that's not how it works. Like you're not lacking and you're just, you're fighting, you're fighting something and you are not equipping yourself to fight it. You're trying to fight it. Like people who have never fought this thing tell you to fight it and that's not going to work for you or anybody. Yeah. The biggest thing you're fighting is other people's expectations of how you should do things. Mm -hmm. And so I don't I, for me, once once you have gotten to once I got to the place where I could um, reject those expectations as invalid for myself and set my own expectations, that was a game changer. Mm. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, there are some other things that we're, t- we're we're tracking, I think, going into 2022. Some other things that are going to obviously uh, play out or um impact all of our lives i think uh number one the pandemic obviously and uh or um as 
I'm going to call and I won't I won't predict too much because we're not there yet, but I'm going to probably shift from calling it a pandemic soon to calling it an endemic situation. <laughs> That's my prediction for 2022 is that we're going to have to shift that. Well, um, explain for me, please. OK, before so, I assume um, what you're thinking. So one of the things that has um, really challenged me in the way that a lot of people are communicating about COVID and how mm -hmm. it is functioning and what we're seeing with the variants and the mutations is uh, this idea that we were ever going to just head it off, that we were ever mm -hmm. going to just completely eradicate it, and that if we all worked together and we all worked really hard, this was a thing we could accomplish. And I yeah, still the, the see COVID that being zero communicated. Mentality. Right. Yeah. And I still let being, see that being communicated. But uh, what I have seen with this shift to the Omicron variant, and granted, I am not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm not even a scientist. Okay. I work in marketing and communications. I do have some very smart friends who are science friends. Um, and so I have the opportunity to talk with them about it. And I also am decent at doing research, but disclaimer, not a scientist. But what we're seeing with this shift to the Omicron variant, which is easier to catch, but for the most part from the data we have now, significantly more mild, indicates that we have a really good chance of this becoming an endemic virus, something that we have every year, like the flu, like strep throat, like colds, they have natural cycles, um, people get them, they don't get them, we will likely, in my opinion, my prediction, continue to get boosters or vaccines like we get flu shots. Yeah. Um, and for some people, Depending on the mutation, the variant that you get, this could be a very significant disease. We don't know anything about Omicron and long COVID, for example, yet. Um, but there is an excellent chance if you look at the history of pandemics and the way that we've dealt with diseases like this, that it's going to mutate to the point that it just becomes a part of our natural menagerie of illnesses <laughs> that yeah. we deal with. So um, I, what I'm watching specifically in 2022 is I'm watching for a change in communication. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, I, th I, I think we're going to see COVID restrictions, COVID lockdowns, those sorts of things ease and maybe be just completely lifted by the end of 2022, not because we beat COVID, um, but because, uh, as you say, and I agree with is it's basically going to mutate to the point where it is a tolerable risk to society. Yes. And, um, despite what certain crowds may think about how COVID started, its death rate was not a tolerable risk to society. If we had Absolutely. done nothing, if we had done nothing, we would have lost a very significant portion of the world population. Um, instead of millions, like tens and hundreds of millions. Um, and it would, it, that, that is, a. <laughs> I still think it, I, I haven't looked at the, the global numbers in quite a while. Um, so forgive me if uh, the numbers that I guesstimated seem low. If they are low, just understand that I mean the death rate would have risen faster and higher than mm -hmm. it did 
by doing something. That's all I mean. And considerably faster and considerably higher. And we would see a crippling in the population that wasn't, it wasn't death, but it was long-term effects like long COVID um, that lead to uh, long-term exhaustion, long-term uh, lung issues, uh, long-term intestinal issues. We're seeing now COVID it does uh, stay in our intestines for months um, and then it stays in our brain for months. We don't know what the effects of that are, but the study came out, I think, last week. I, I skimmed over it talking about you know, that it's been discovered in these places uh, months after infection. So we still have a lot to learn about this, but I do think we're, we're going to see the virus uh, become less deadly, more mild, and probably more uh, transmissible, uh, more akin to normal COVID, uh, coronavirus rather, um, viruses, the common cold. Right. And I think we'll also see, yeah, a yearly booster. It'll probably just be part of the flu cocktail that we get, or at least right. it'll be a double shot, two shots, pow, pow. Um, yeah. Which goes to illustrate, by the way, why getting your flu shot every year is beneficial to you because it provides layers of coverage for very like all the various strains of the flu. That's why we get a booster every year. Um, it's not so much that our immunity wanes as the flu mutates and we need to get immunity to the new strain. So get your flu shot if you haven't is what I'm getting at. Um, and th it'll be the same for COVID as well. Yeah, Another I disclaimer, think, um, I'm not a scientist or virologist. That's just what I understand from the virologist that I watch who explains th these things. Right. Yeah. And the good news is, at least with COVID, where things stand right now, granted, we do not have 100 years of experience trying to mitigate COVID the way that we do with influenza. Mm -hmm. um, but at least currently, the mutations are limited enough that we seem to be able to accurately um, vaccinate preventatively and protectively against them. Yeah. I'm just trying to get all of the words in there because there are a lot of things about the vaccine and we've, we've done again, many episodes. Um, but at this point we are currently able to provide significant protection against severe disease for the variants that are, that we're currently working with. Yeah. I think we're also going to see the, the long-term effects of COVID fatigue um, come into play this year, like in a way that they haven't before. And, but, and what I mean by that is like the, the mentality of just like, I don't care anymore. I don't care mm -hmm. about staying isolated. I don't care about wearing masks. I just don't care. Um, and we saw it with the CDC's new guidance with uh, the five days of isolation instead of 10. Um, they said in part that was driven by what they thought the American public could uh, tolerate, could accept. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not an ideal solution, but it is the one that they could probably they could maximize compliance with and therefore right. minimize long term issues with. But we're also going to see I, I would almost bet money that we're going to see movies return to being released in theaters only, almost exclusively instead of the dual release thing that they're doing where it's in the theater and on uh, streaming yeah. like Disney Plus or, or HBO, something like that. Um, and we've already seen it in part uh, with the Scarlet Witch lawsuit. Scarlet Witch, no, 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 no. Scarlet Johansson, the, the actress, 
the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit uh, with Black Widow when she sued, yeah. and um, because it was it was it was released at home at the same time as theaters, and we're going to see that Spider Man uh, No Way Home. Nope, yep, No Way Home is only released in theaters at the moment, much to my annoyance because I want to see it, but I really don't want to go to the theater at the moment. Uh, I also don't have time. <laughs> I want to watch it. I just saw Far From Home last week. That's how long it took me to see Far From Home. I just saw yeah. it for the first time last week. Yeah, I, I predict that we'll we'll see. It'll be a very strange mixture, um, I think, of what gets released on streaming, what gets released in theaters, and where the exclusivity lies. Uh, and I think that it will probably become a bargaining chip in contracts as to oh. um, are we going to get theater exclusive on this? Are we going to, is this going to release on streaming? How does that affect profit margins? How does that affect merchandising? I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic that gets played out. Yeah, for sure. And the roles that they can, or the actors that they can get for certain roles, like bigger name actors are going to want uh, theater releases because that drives higher revenue, which means higher profits for them, depending on the contract that they negotiated. So we might see new faces breaking into the acting scene because they're willing to take the the lower paycheck to get the experience. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, but that is going to be part of the broader shifts that we see in the workforce, just in general in the, in the U.S. It's not going to be in Hollywood or just Hollywood. It's going to be across the country from the C-suite down to the fry line. Um, yeah. Just the, the, the labor shortage and the, and the pandemic and how that interacts with the workforce. Yeah, I think um, that's going to be a really interesting one to watch this year. I, we're already starting to see uh, people challenge the language, the phrasing of a labor shortage right? There's no shortage of labor. Mm -hmm. There is a shortage of, of agreement on the conditions under which people are willing to work. Um, I know that last night here in good old Springfield Mo on New Year's Eve, we had one Taco Bell open. Whoa. Yeah. Hold on. And time out. I just need to set some, some like some groundwork for how big of a deal that is to people who don't live in Springfield, Missouri. Taco Bell is always open in Springfield because Springfield, whether it likes it or not, is a college town. Yes. And like whether it's winter break or not, it is filled with college students. So Taco Bell is always doing business. Like Yeah. And the idea that it, it's New Year's and that's a night then we know people are guaranteed to be out late. That's generally a big revenue night for Taco Bell in in general, corporately. Um, and the fact that they are short-staffed enough here in town to funnel all of that traffic through one restaurant. Um, wow. It, There's a Taco Bell like every this, corner in Springfield. Yeah. This is going to be a very significant conversation going forward. We're already starting to see hours shorten in places that are normally open. I mean, our local Walmarts, for example, went from being open 24 hours before COVID to limited hours during COVID to slightly more extended, but still incredibly limited hours for Walmart anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're just seeing that repeated across the board in a bunch of places. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out and what kind of negotiation workers, especially in that um, frontline position in that frontline category, are able to negotiate going forward. Yeah. Well, uh, and part of that is a direct result of COVID, not because we had to shut down to keep people from dying, but because we shut down to keep people from dying, people were able to live their lives in a weird way, even though it was restricted, they were they they had time, yeah. they could pursue their hobbies and their interests. And it is a like it's a wake up call for a lot of people and and not just young people, but in people who working people up and down the line mm-hmm. that, hey, I want to do more than just work with my life. So I think we're going I agree we're going to see a a, a, a pretty significant restructuring in how we view work and the balance between work and everything else. Yeah. And I think we also reinforced, um, like I remember growing up, I had no expectation that places would be open 24 Mm seven. Things opened and they closed. That was a thing that happened. And as I have gotten older and as time has gone on, we started to see that always open mentality. Yeah. But we've realized, I think that as a society, we can cope with our stores closing at night. We don't have a driving need for them to be open at two o'clock in the morning. Most yeah. people don't. Um, yeah. Unless so, it's Waffle House. Okay. Waffle House, I need you. Okay. I need well, you to be open at 2 a.m. Because that's the only time I go to you. And it's glorious. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I think we like we've seen businesses able to tolerate these more realistic open close hours yeah and that in turn is going to affect what that looks like for employees how many employees they need how often all of that kind of stuff yeah um i remember i'm i'm old enough to remember that your your basic like uh strip mall retail store whatever it was um would close on sundays by like two or three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes um definitely no later than five and during the week like seven o'clock they were open late if they were open at seven and then by the time i was working in a retail position we were staying open till nine o'clock some nights mm-hmm. and just pushing later and later nine o'clock is is now that i am a, a ancient man wizened beyond all recognition and gray at temple um <clears throat> anyway uh now that i am older i realize how late nine o'clock actually is which feels of it's a very old thing to say um but so much of of our next day is determined by what's happening at nine o'clock the night before and if you're not leaving work until nine o'clock you've got nothing left in the tank and by the like you go home and you basically turn around go right back to work and it's just not gonna cut it you can't do anything with your life with those hours. Yeah. So um, that's going to be a good one to watch. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm I'm excited for a lot of reasons. I'm very interested to see how we how our relationship with labor and and the workforce changes um, over time because that's something that's going to be set by all of us. That's not something that's going to be handed down necessarily from on high. Uh, the U.S. government 
you know, the federal government might say, okay, the, the work week is 32 hours right now. I don't foresee that happening, but maybe they might, li- they might shorten the work week. But what the big changes, the major changes are going to come through negotiations between the workers and the people with the jobs. And that's going to be where we see the transformation. So it's going to be driven by people who think like the change is going to be a negotiation between the people who think that, hey, we need to rebalance some things. And the people who think, no, you're, you just need to work and understand that this is life. Right. Yeah. I'm, I imagine that we will probably do several uh, episodes on that in the coming year. Yeah. <laughs> and just what's going on. Yeah. Um, if you would like a little bit of reference for that, though, we do have an episode on the minimum wage where we kind of talked about some of this. This actually could be another one of our called it moments, too, because we were talking about minimum wage and and how that impacts uh, people's ability to live functionally. And we're seeing that played out now in this um, so-called labor shortage. We are seeing more people who are unwilling to work for unlivable wages. Yeah. And it's something that we we didn't really get a chance to talk about when we were talking about the inflation is that the minimum wage is not tied to inflation going up. This drive to $15 an hour um, in a lot of places, that's not what's, that's not what, that is not what is causing the inflation change. A lot of bad faith actors are out there trying to tell you that, see, you drove, you, you pushed for $15 an hour and now everything's more expensive. This is what happens. That's not what happened. What happened is we shut everything down as we talked about in this latest episode on inflation. That's what's driving prices. It's our supply chain issues. It's not, it's not how much money we're paying to the the fast food workers in our lives i promise you it is not it is not your 14 year old kid trying to get a job at mcdonald's yeah and don't don't fall for that that's that's cap as the kids would say um lord nailed it nailed it um speaking of kids and cap social media Robin, this one is in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I have a really close eye on what is going to be happening with social media going forward into 2020. Not only specifically on the platforms, even though we know that there are some platforms that are are taking some steps. Instagram, for example, has announced that they plan to test the option for people to return to a chronological Instagram feed, um, which does not sound like a big deal letting you choose whether you see things in the order that they happened or whether Instagram decides for you. But that can play a big role in things like a filter bubble, in a in a company's opportunity to have access to you, to reach you with their messaging or their products. Um, they're changing that changes a lot of things about how we receive information on that platform. And so I think that we'll, we'll see a lot of changes with that. But I'm also watching how these social media platforms are going to be regulated, both officially, like legally regulated, and regulated by the other organizations that they have to cooperate with in order to function. For example, Tumblr is a social media platform, primarily image-based, uh, but there's also commentary that can be offered underneath. And they're currently in a a struggle with iOS, with the Mac operating system, because 
on the Mac version, the iPhone version of the app, they have created some very significant filters, some keywords to try and um, remove overly sensitive or disturbing content. But that has extended to some kind of random things uh, like Eugene Levy, for example, is one of the terms that if your content uses that terminology, that phrase, uh, it can be restricted and limited on the iOS platform. So, and I'm sure that on the back end, there's some very important algorithmic reason why that should happen. Because like we talked about, a lot of social media is governed by these computer processes that connect information. The algorithm. uh, That connect information that we wouldn't normally put together and decide how to regulate content based on those things. So... In that situation, Apple has taken things into their own hands and decided this is what you have to do to be on our app. And since something like half of of app users in the United States are, are iOS app users, that carries significant weight for a platform. So I think we'll start to see more of that, but I'm keenly interested in how that plays out over the next year. Yeah, that's going to play. uh, That's just going to be part of the puzzle, too, because we're going to see regulation or calls for regulation in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram because of things like January 6th. And we're already seeing it. Right. But we're going to see it more. I'm very, 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 very interested to see what happens with Trump's uh, truth media or truth social network, whatever it's called. Yeah, Um, I, I can. I've got two predictions for it. And they're they like they're contrasting it's either going to never happen and completely fall through like a lot of the products and projects that are associated with with trump um or he's going to have hired somebody who is very driven to make sure that it's it like it's it happens it's going to happen and it's going to something a lot like what happened with parlor (laughs) is going to occur where it's going to be like, no, this network is driving extremism. You need to do something about it. And then it's going to start editing or censoring or, or having to legally uh, editorialize uh, users content. And it's going like, it's going to find itself in the same boat as every other social media app out there with pressure mm-hmm. on it to, hey, you need to take responsibility for the actions that your platform is enabling. And I feel like that's going to be the more likely scenario. I think I think the the Trump team has hired on um, some some actual ringers when it comes to to developing social media platforms. So I think there is going to be something, an actual app, an actual platform that occurs I don't know how good it's going to be. I'm not going right. to even dare to make any predictions about that. But I do think we're going to see um, it's going to be controversial and it is going to to go the way of parlor. Yes, I'm not going to lie. When I got that text message the other day uh, inviting me to join the platform, I was sorely tempted, incredibly tempted just uh, to have a front row seat and see what exactly was going to happen. Um, I'm going to laugh. It's, it's going to be a dumpster fire. I, I fully predict that I do. And, and that is not because something I want to make very clear. It's not because it's a, it's because Trump is doing it. That's not why it's going to be a dumpster fire. No, 
it's because of what Trump built previously. Yes. What he has done. Mm -hmm. Something that yeah. I, a prediction that I have for 2022, um, I want to say this, and then I want to talk one more big thing that I'm watching for 2022, and then we're, we'll close out. So this is one of the things that I, I'm slash see, seeing slash predicting for 2022. Uh, Trump is going to have to learn and probably learn the hard way that the, the movement, if you want to call it that, that he created with MAGA, with this sort of... Um, the truth is what I say it is, and everybody's out to get us mentality, is that he, he's going to find out very quickly that it, he is no longer in control of it, if he ever was. He is secondary now to that movement. He is, um, he, he says things and, and that sort of mentality, those people agree with him, but I'm already seeing that it's turning against him. Because mm -hmm. he's not extreme enough for it anymore. Because he got his he got his booster shot. And he yep. he supported getting the booster shot and told people to get a booster shot. And he was booed on stage by his own people when he said that. Yeah. Candace yeah, Owens is calling him out. Candace Owens is crazy. And she is calling out Trump. She has been a, a, a syncophant for him for his entire career. And yeah. she's saying that he's 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 wrong now. Yeah, I think I think we will very quickly realize that that he stumbled across a big thing and was able to galvanize it, but it has little to do with him and it has more to do with the feelings that he stirred up in the group of people he was talking to. Absolutely. Yeah. And those feelings do not nobody you do not control those feelings. If you do, it is for a brief time. He he rode the lightning for a second. 100% problem with writing that is that you are going to get electrocuted at some point yeah and that is 100 what i see happening i think this will also be a, a very clear um a very clear example of the fact that like you said he was never ex extreme enough to maintain this he uh, he has i i believe shown to be exactly what he feels like he needs to be in the moment to accomplish the thing he wants to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And so if there is no longer a need for him to be so extreme, he will stop being so extreme because the end goal, I believe, is to get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished, right. not to uh, to be the figurehead of a movement necessarily. No, no and, and it's, it's always been that way. Like every move that he made from my perspective, and I am willing to be convinced otherwise, but everything that he's done is something that pretty much benefits him personally. Yes. In some way, you know, it benefits him or it benefits somebody that he likes. You know, the ambassadorships that he handed out were to people who gave him a lot of money for his campaign. The regulations that he slashed helped drive donations from businesses into his campaign funds uh, and yeah. keep him relevant. Like, he changed a lot of things, I suppose, but I don't, I can't think of a circumstance in recent history where he changed something that didn't almost, almost benefit him directly. Right. And it's the same with this vaccine situation. I mean, we know that in New York City, for example, as of, I think it is the middle of this month, you will not be able to go or do pretty much anything indoors without proof of vaccination. Well, 
Trump does a lot of business in New mm. York City. He does a lot of business in business in places where those vaccine requirements globally are getting stronger and stricter. So mm. it behooves him to encourage people to get their vaccines so that they can engage in the things that earn him money. Yeah. This is not altruistic. It's not that he wants everyone to stay out of the hospital, in my opinion. It is that he would like to continue earning a metric butt ton of money. And the way to do that is to get people out and engaging with his resorts and his businesses and the other things that he owns a variety of. Yeah. So not exactly a great transition for me here, but it's fine. <laughs> We're going to talk about elections now, uh, which is what everybody <laughs> thinks of when they think of Trump. Um, uh, this enough. is what I'm, this is what I'm really watching. Like this is the biggest issue that I'm watching going into 2022 and the midterms. And that is our election laws. Um, there has been, we did the census in 2020. You may have forgotten about that. It was highly controversial because nobody is certain that it's accurate. And in fact, there are a few studies now that indicate that it was an undercount, that it didn't count uh, uh, enough of the people that it should have. And you can pretty much understand that to mean, yeah, minorities were underrepresented in a, underrepresented in a lot of places, at least according to the initial analysis that I've seen. Um, again, willing to be wrong, willing to believe that it was excellently executed and got everybody. But I distinctly remember all of the discussion about the issues that it was experiencing mm -hmm. because of COVID, because of the politics around it in 2020. Um, that said, it's not a conspiracy, right? The people who are doing the census are consummate professionals and they went out to do the best that they possibly could. But they were fighting against, one, the pandemic, the endemic, yes. um, and two, a lot of pressure um, to 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 rush the job to get it done by a certain point even though they needed more time so that means that we're going to see uh an interesting development when it comes to redistricting i know that there has been a recent um map proposed in virginia that there was a bipartisan redistricting commission that was working in virginia they could not reach an agreement it was always split amongst party lines and it it's deeper than that uh, there was compromise done and it was all by one side you can guess who was compromising and you can guess who kept re resisting the compromise and just kept pushing for what they wanted only um, and so in virginia it went to a uh, like a judicial committee who then appointed people to do it and they appointed a bipartisan group to do it, it was, i think it was uh, two representatives one from um each party and they have developed a map. And as I understand it, this map is actually really well done. It looks pretty dang good. The, the, the people who were appointed went out and solicited opinion from the locals who, were, who would say, hey, you're dividing a community. If you, if you draw the line here, this is a better way to do it because these people all interact together. This is one big community. So mm -hmm. think about that. And so the new map that's come out has actually been re has actually received some pretty positive uh, commentary from everybody. And that is a huge surprise because everybody was suspecting or was expecting rather that the Republican controlled uh, judiciary 
group that was going to handle this would have gerrymandered the entire state. So um, I'm I am encouraged by that, that this map came out well done, especially because uh, Virginia elected a Republican governor in this last cycle. Um, it gives me hope that, hey, maybe <laughs> maybe not everything is as dire and as extremely tilted within right. the party as as it feels like at the moment. Yeah. And, and this is a process that is going on across the country right now. Every mm-hmm. single state is having to look at these processes and and deal with these things because of the census. And so we're seeing that there are some states where it's becoming a really big deal to try to redo these maps. Some states are just kind of, you know, business as usual. Uh, but in all of these cases, it's going to have an impact on what happens when we go to vote again the next time at the midterm mm-hmm. elections. It's going to have an effect on what happens when we go to vote in 2024 and how, what the what the layout of our Congress looks like yeah. as we head into 2022 or 2023, yeah. I mean. And we talked about the voting legislation that was looked at being passed uh, a while ago, several months ago. Um, and I think Robin and I are in agreement that there does need to be new legislation passed um, about how our elections are done, how we um, how we set up our districts, not because there was fraud in the last election, but because if we want to prevent if we want to prevent quote unquote legal fraud moving forward, which would be gerrymandering or um, the, the various ways that they control demographic turnout, like mm-hmm. uh, like voter ID laws, like um, shutting down voting districts, those sort of things, we have to, or voting locations rather, um, we have to have legislation on the books that says, don't do this or else this, this thing is going to happen. And yeah. we, we just don't have that right now. We don't have those protections in place for our elections and we need them. So that's what I'm going to be looking for from Congress is what sort of voting legislation can we get through before the midterms? Right. Um, and I, I think before the midterms is really key because at least one of my predictions for 2022 is that we're actually going to see a conservative push in the House and probably in the Senate unless unless we can gain some ground with this voting legislation and with these redistricting efforts and effectively curb that gerrymandering. Uh, Part of the reason that I think this is what we talked about last week with inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that inflation tends to have negative impacts on incumbents, including not just individual candidates, but the party, the incumbent party overall. So we um, we saw that we still had a slim Democratic lead in the House and a split Senate and the Democratic Party is considered to be the incumbent party currently. They are the ones in power. And so we know that inflation increases the likelihood that we're going to see the pendulum swing the other way. Yeah. And then we know that currently the way that things stand in many states across the board, redistricting efforts, the congressional districts, as they stand, favor conservative candidates uh, from local all the way up through federal level. So, and we explain why that is in our episode on gerrymandering. We explain the entire process of how that works. But because of that, I am anticipating a conservative push in the House and in the Senate, unless we can get these things taken care of before those midterm elections. Right. Which 
to be very clear, it's not to say that if there is a swing towards the conservative side, that that is necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, right? It can be fine. It would be fine if it was done in a fair and equal election. And it wasn't yes. done because gerrymandering uh, split districts and divided demographic groups to give one side an advantage. It's fine if the conservatives take over in a fair election. Right. It's not fine if they take over because they're scared that the election's not fair, so they rig it in their favor. Favor. Right. Which sounds yeah. conspiratorial, and I totally understand that. If you look at the districts that are being drawn and the this is not a conspiracy. This is happening out in the open. Right. There are there are peer-reviewed, validated, longitudinal, long-term studies on redistricting and how it has benefited either political candidate uh, party in the past. It's, it is a whole thing. It is a whole area of scholarship. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not conspiratorial. It is legal. It is the way that they are doing it is through legal means. It's just yeah. not fair. Yeah. Um, I think on that super peachy note, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to launch into our two-week hiatus now. Um, it, is, it is time. We are very tired, I think. We love doing the show, but we need a break. We need a mental recharge. So I'm going to disappear to someplace tropical for a little while, if you don't mind, for nine days um roughly eight days um so there will be no episode next week there will be no episode the week after that correct but there will be an episode the week after that which in numbers terms means <laughs> no episode on the 10th or the 17th we will be back on the 24th the 24th yes. of january if you really, really, really must speak with us before then, yeah, there is a way. There is. And that way is firesidebreakdowns.com. Firesidebreakdowns.com. You can send us a message and be like, we miss your incredible smooth jazz voices and rabbit trails and digressions. Please, please come back. And we will say on the 24th. <laughs> we shall return to you. Although not everyone is disappearing to somewhere tropical at this point in time. So uh, if you do decide to get in touch with us via firesidebreakdowns.com, you can reasonably expect a response. It may not be immediate, but it will be soon enough. Correct. Um, you can also find our, our socials there. There will still be stuff going on on our social media. And, and um, you can find uh, links to... Uh, our Patreon, if you want to toss some dollars, toss a coin to your podcasters. Uh, I made that joke last week. I'm going to make it this week too. deal with it. Um, we uh, would greatly appreciate that. It would go a long way towards helping us get some help on this so uh, we can turn out better and ever improving content for you. Um, but most importantly, if you are so moved, give us a New Year's gift and leave us a review. If you listen on Spotify, you can review on Spotify now. <gasps> leave us a five-star review. Do That's it. so huge, you do guys. Because, I, I mean, do I do all of my podcast listening on Spotify, and it's exciting to know that I can go and review my favorite podcast now. And you we sure challenge can. you to do the same. Yeah. 
review your favorite podcast, which we know is us. Um, <laughs> do you want to send us out of here, Robin? Or is there anything else you'd like to say? No, I'm just really grateful for all of the people who have taken the time to listen to us in the last year. Um, we hope that the things that we have covered in this last year have been valuable to you. And we are going to do our very best to make sure that we are keeping you on the forefront of not just what is happening in 2022, but the actual research, the truth, the objectivity behind what is happening. Because again, that is how we, that is how we change how we have these hard conversations. So mm -hmm. agreed. while we are gone from you for the next two weeks, if you do find yourself in one of those hard conversations, uh, remember that we have more in common than we are different. And uh, remember that the most important thing that you can do in the next couple of weeks is to take care of each other. Mm -hmm.